0: On February 6th, 2015, the official DC Comics website announced the creative team on the new Martian Manhunter series as writer Rob Williams and artist Ben Oliver. On the very same day, IGN added Paolo Securia as another artist on the book with Ben Oliver. And then a month later, March 11, 2015, when ComicBook.com got the exclusive advanced solicitation for the book, the creative team is writer Rob Williams, art and cover by eddie barrows and ibir ferreira with a 125 variant cover by gabriel hardman but of course the only art featured in the solicitation is by andre sorrentino who isn't mentioned anywhere in those credits welcome to the new 52 regardless of how dc would choose the brand themselves the solicitation copy reads an on sale date of june 17th for the 32 page comic full color 299 shape-shifting martians are invading earth so where is john jones to stop them Trust no one as the Martian Manhunter tries to stop these ruthless alien terrorists from destroying everything. I'll now read you the June 2014 advance solicitation for the September shipping Justice League Futures End number 1. The mystery of the Martian Manhunter is revealed at last as his decades-long plan for world domination comes to fruition. Continued in this month's Justice League United Futures End No. 1. It's own solicitation copy reading. In the concluding chapter of the epic story that began in this month's Justice League Futures in number one, the armies of Mars rise against the unsuspecting population of Earth, and only the combined might of the Justice League and the Legion of Superheroes can stand against them. When the books actually came out, it was a story about a prison located on Mars that Captain Adam was trying to break out of, so a group of Justice League United members get together to stop Captain Adam. It's also worth noting that this is picking up from a plot thread that dates back to 1997's initial arc of JLA. So that would be the not-so-new 52. In possibly related news, K-Site TV has official confirmation that the actor Ferran Tahir, best known as the leader of the Ten Rings from the first Iron Man movie, has been cast on the new CBS Supergirl television series as a character called the Commander, described as an alien military expert leading the forces aligned against Supergirl. One of our listeners, Count Druncula, speculated that this Commander could in fact be Commander Blanks, archenemy of the Martian Manhunter. Ange of Supergirl comic box commentary picked up on that thread and did a post exclusively on Commander Blanks and his potential role in the Supergirl show. However, it's worth noting that there's actually a Kryptonian military leader named Commander Gore who appeared in the New Krypton story arc from Superman comics of a few years ago and also a one-off Superman character called Commander Noor from Pre-Crisis Era, plus a handful of other DC commanders that it could be, uh, presuming that the character hasn't been created for the TV show exclusively. Personally, I think it would be wonderful if Commander Blanks appeared on the Supergirl show. I think many of the more casual fans of DC properties were introduced to them through the CW Smallville television series, which established the Martian Manhunter as having close ties to Jor-El and Krypton and an adversarial relationship with Kara Zor-El, Superman's cousin. So bringing in Martians and having them be an ongoing threat to Supergirl would be a familiar and potentially desirable plotline for fans of the Supergirl character from Smallville without directly spinning off from that series. Not unlike how Arrow and The Flash have played around in similar territory as Smallville without being direct continuations of the show. I just really like Supergirl and I like when she interacts with the Martian Manhunter which doesn't happen nearly often enough. But until we know for a fact that Martians have anything at all to do with Supergirl we'll just have to leave it at that. Your ego betrays you. Will you not listen to reason? This won't end well for you. We received retweets from Ange, the anti fascist, Between the Pages, Count Druncula, David Fior, DSNRS, Ed Moore at Indie Comics Fan, Ed Moore at Teal Productions, Inigo Montoya at Urban Fantasist, Eternal Rage, Fantastiverse, Firestorm Fan, Flotos Fan, Guano Man, The Irredeemable Shag, It's Plastic Man, Keith G. Baker, Knowing Flame Comics, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, Odyssey Unleashed, Randy Caldwell, Ryan C. at Trash Film Guru, Ciscoid, and the Top Five Road Crew, as well as favors from the Anti-Fascist, Bob at RJ Holmes123, Charlton Hero, Count Druncula, David Fiore, David Golding Artist, DS and RS, Eternal Rage, Fantasverse, Firestorm Fan, The Irredeemable Shag, Legion Bloggers, Longbox Graveyard, Luke Dobb, Marty Light, Odyssey Unleashed, Oscar O'Lalde, Portland Bros, Professor Riptide, Randy Caldwell, Sean Corey, and Siskoid. Sean Corey wrote, Frank has a podcast? How did I just find out about this now? Downloading all four current episodes. Oscar Olalde tweeted, This is going to be my driving companion tomorrow. Now whenever you feel like you want to lose your mind, do Hawkman. Voltuspan tweeted, This was a great episode, very educational. Danilo Santiago tweeted, Hey, I'm reading your blog about my favorite DC hero and it's simply great. Thanks for the infos about John. David Fior tweeted, Loving the podcast version of Idlehead. Very fine mix of macro and micro analysis. Chris Michael at Mythmaking, etc. wrote Enjoying the Idlehead episode. Nice analysis. I wish the Manhunter comic you described existed. I'd love to read it. Luke Dobb wrote Catching up with the Idlehead of Diablo podcast today. Whoever it was that called it story time with Frank was right on. I never cared for Martian Manhunter until the Justice League cartoon. That show endeared him to me. He's my wife's favorite. I like the simplicity of the show, by the way. I love your quick edits on the Marvel Superheroes podcast. This feels similar but uniquely personal. Compelling points about defeatism making for good Manhunter stories. Great podcast. The Legal Machine wrote of Episode 5, Making Sense of the Martian Manhunter. Great podcast as usual. Food for thought. What characters outside of the DC Universe would you say closely resemble the Martian Manhunter? Not looks, but character type. I know you're a fan of Adam Warlock, and maybe initially the similarities aren't there, but maybe there should be. Have they done the Adam Warlock cosmic wanderer take on Martian Manhunter? It's funny that you had mentioned Adam Warlock, since that is a childhood favorite of mine, and there are aspects of that character that I wouldn't mind seeing applied to the Martian Manhunter. Particularly, one of my favorite stories as a child was called, I believe, Prison Ship or Death Ship, in which, despite being an extremely powerful being, Adam Warlock sneaks around a ship and is doing stealth moves, kind of a... Metal Gear Solid action, which strikes me as something that the Marshmallow would do as opposed to just flying down like Mighty Mouse, here I come to save the day, and punching people. And one thing that Adam Warlock was good about too is he would often, especially in the early stories, reason his way through a situation where most superheroes jump down and start punching things. On the other hand, Adam Warlock is almost diametrically opposed from John Jones because the defining characteristic of Warlock is his narcissism. He is extraordinarily self-involved. He sets himself up as a messianic figure. In a dark, possible future, he becomes the Magus, the chief inquisitor of the Universal Church of Truth. In one of his earliest stories, if I recall correctly, Adam Warlock kidnapped Sif and tried to make her his girlfriend, and Thor had to come and lay the hammer down because of it. Adam Warlock is a paranoid schizophrenic. He's a guy who goes off and has these long reveries about his own importance to the grand scheme of the universe. And that's just not who John Jones is. If anything, he is an extremely humble hero. He's a guy who doesn't look for accolades, who shuns the spotlight. He's self-sacrificing, a team player, and he tends to work in small ways to benefit a greater good as opposed to trying to revolutionize the world to bring it more in line with his ideology as Adam Warlock did with Counter-Earth. He's not a great golden god. Adam Warlock, not only is he from earth but he was actually created by human beings so he is a synthetic earthling where john jones is a natural martian he comes from another culture he's not defined by the concept of perfection in the minds of megalomaniacal men programming into his genetic code their flaws as eugenics madmen but there are a number of Jim starling characters that do have a lot in common with john jones of the ones that he himself created there's a lot of Suzaji Darklock and Eddie. If you merge those two characters together, there would be a lot of John Jones in the Dreadstar stories. Dalton, of course, wrote Silver Surfer for a long period of time. And the grand tragedy and melancholy that is a part of the post-crisis John Jones can also be found in Silver Surfer as well as those grand power levels that are often not effectively manifested in the comics. Where people tell you how powerful Silver Surfer is, but he still comes off as a bit of a wimp. But of all the Starling characters, probably the one that most resembles John Jones was Captain Marvell prior to Starling taking advantage of that character. As originally conceived, Captain Marvell was a benevolent military figure who got caught up in politics. And became stranded on Earth with a more fascistic authority above him, forcing him into the situation, trying to get him killed, not unlike Commander Blanks in the Silver Age. And he's trying to win back the love of a woman that will end tragically, not unlike with John Jones and his wife Mariah. And even Beljus could probably fit that role going back to the Bronze and Silver Age. Both Captain Marvel and Jean Jones were also directly confronted by celestial beings who greatly reoriented those heroes, bestowing upon them a newfound and deep spirituality, and impacted their adventures from that point forward. With Marvel being Aeon with Jean Jones. Her own mirror. And I'd also point out that there's a fair amount of Daredevil in the character as well. Because again, as Luke Dobb referenced, one of Jean Jones's defining characteristics is to be defeated. He is not the all-powerful, omnipotent Superman. He's the guy who, despite having extraordinary powers, fails or has fyric victories it gives the character a greater nuance and a greater range than a Superman. And Daredevil is very much like that. Daredevil is defined by his handicap from the first. He's a hero who is a hero despite his blindness right off the bat. His power also is one of his greatest weaknesses because of his heightened senses. He's a guy who can get nailed by something like sound, which most of us take for granted as something we can tolerate, but send Daredevil into a rock concert and he's very likely going to end up on his knees, not unlike John Jones at a barbecue. Daredevil's story is about being beaten down surviving and taking back some form of victory and that has a lot in common with the John Jones story he may defeat the bad guy he may save people in individual circumstances but ultimately everyone he most truly deeply passionately loved is already dead can never be recovered his world and his culture are long gone He can take comfort in his wins, but there is no ultimate victory for him because he's already lost in the most essential ways a person can lose. A simple analogy that might help people approach Martian Manhunter is to say that John Jones is to Superman as Daredevil is to Spider-Man. As far as the wandering through space aspect, though, I'm just not a fan of that because an essential element of the John Jones character is that he is an alien coming from a different culture who's confronting our culture it doesn't work for him to be an alien engaging other aliens because that's not his story that's never been his story among the worst marshman hunter tales the marshman hunter special from the late 90s and that's what it was about was him going off into space and getting involved in an adam warlocky type story and it didn't suit the character at all it was filler and wrote great show looking at this article and at john as a whole I am so glad you did this because as I was reading Sims' article, all I was thinking was, I wonder what Frank thinks. And I love the contrast with Superman. From a super fan like me, that was the highlight of this episode. Siskoid wrote, Great cast once again. I especially appreciate your insights on Superman and would heartily endorse your vision for John. And while I hate to be that guy, one thing you didn't touch on, and I imagine neither did Chris... I just haven't had time to read his article yet, is the character's look. He looks like a character that should be in a teen book. Quirky and interesting but not iconic in the same way as other DC headliners. And I don't think there's anything you can do with the costume to fix that. It's just that the public will never see a little, well, big green man, especially one with inhuman features, if he were the handsome, jolly green giant maybe, as relatable as the rest of the Justice League solo stars. Maybe I'm wrong about that, I don't know. But somehow I think John's look has always kept him from being a crossover hit with readers. Nice contrast to the other heroes, but that's as far as the superficial appeal goes, I'll add a big question mark to all that and let you respond. Well, Siscoid, reading your comment reminds me of how Aquaman fans probably felt when they heard Illegal Machine talking about their character on our Marvel superheroes podcast. And I halfway think you're just trying to wind me up with the somewhat controversial posturing you have in the comments. And it reflects a number of comments that were left on Chris Sims' original article at Comics Alliance. Right off the bat. When you're saying that audiences couldn't embrace a great big green guy, I think that one of the Martian Manhunter's main problems is being confused with someone like the Hulk. But big green guy, really popular, don't really see that being an issue. But it's not really a conversation I want to have anyway because I don't really want the Martian Manhunter to be popular. I don't want the Martian Manhunter to connect with mainstream audiences. I don't think that that's the point of the character I'd like to touch on this at length in the podcast at some point, but I wrote a piece on the blog a number of years ago where I called John Jones the patron saint of loser superheroes. Everybody else in the Magnificent Seven JLA, those founding members, are name brands that have had their own TV shows, movies series that have run for decades i referenced the joke that gerard jones made in his book the comic book heroes on our underguides podcast when we were talking about the image seven where six of marvel's most popular artists and jim valentino formed image comics marsh manhunter is the jim valentino of the jla he's the guy where 20 some odd years removed what you remember jim valentino for is mostly that he was an image founder. You don't necessarily remember Shadow Hawk, but it doesn't change the fact that Jim Valentino is one of the most important people to be involved with image, far more important than a number of those other folks that are name brand still that are off-referenced. Because Jim Valentino is the first person to be responsible for the shift away from derivative, cheesy, stabby, bloody, booby superheroes that were images bread and butter in the beginning to being a more versatile publisher that is open to more small press and more personal projects most of the earliest projects along those lines to appear at image were under the guidance and at the beckoning of jim valentino who himself came up from independent comic books where most of the image artists while they may have dallied a bit with some very conventional sci-fi fantasy superhero stuff before moving to DC or Marvel comics, they still had that sensibility and they did not work in the trenches of indie comics the way that Jim Valentino had. Without Jim Valentino, Robert Kirkman and Tony Moore never get to do a black and white horror comic book. Jim Valentino is as important to defining image comics as anybody, but he doesn't tend to get the credit for it because he doesn't have that kind of fan base. But it doesn't change the fact that he was essential to the survival and to the deepening quality of that line of books. Well, The Marshman Manhunter is the same way. I think that he enriches the DC Universe and the JLA. But he's not meant to be popular. That's not what he's made to be. He's made to, as you said in your comment, he contrasts other heroes within that team setting. But he deserves to be more than just a guy on a team. He didn't start out as that. He's got a rich catalog of solo stories that prove that he is viable as a solo character. But he doesn't have to be in the top 10. Just as I mentioned, Daredevil has never been as popular as Spider-Man. But some of the greatest comic book stories ever told were told with the Daredevil character. I see that potentially in John Jones. Very rarely realized, but I believe it's there or I wouldn't go through the trouble of pushing the character for 15 years now on various platforms. And he does have at least one great work in American Secrets, which I highly recommend. I'd actually think one of John Jones' problems is that he doesn't contrast well visually with the rest of the JLA. He stuck out like a sore thumb. His costume was very dated, very retro at a time where most of the other JLAers were rocking mullets or had gone through sweeping redesigns. So he didn't look like those other characters. He was the guy who reminded you of the Silver Age amidst this more cutting-edge, flashy super team. And no, he's not iconic, the way the other JLA members are, and that's part of what sets him apart. He's the guy who represents everybody else, everybody who's not one of the top-tier characters. Ideally, if he is going to be in a team book, he should be allowed to contrast those characters better, not just in terms of some powers and the color of his skin, but in the perspective he brings, that he could bring an outsider's perspective to the Justice League And to the DC Universe as a whole. And that same outsider's perspective should be seen in his solo books. If I read a Flash or a Green Lantern story, at the end of the day, often even when someone like Jon Stewart is in the role of Green Lantern, I'm still not getting a black man's perspective. I'm getting a Green Lantern's perspective. And it's a fairly Caucasian, conventional, conservative perspective john jones if you're going to go through the trouble of giving the man a series you should also give him an angle give him something to say besides straightforward superhero type stuff that you expect from a flash and if that isn't iconic so be it not all these characters have to be icons but they should have their own flavor we don't all want to drink coca-cola and pepsi and something that was driving me nuts when I was reading those comments on the Sim article, and it seems to be reflected in Siskoid's comment, is slagging on Marshman Hunter's costume. As if he hasn't gone through a few costume changes in recent years. I know he stuck with that same basic costume for many decades, far beyond its freshness state. But the one year later story arc, he had a new costume, which was adapted to animation in the Young Justice series and was well embraced. And then Ed brightest day, he received another new costume that was solid, and in the New 52, he's got a great suit. I actually like it quite a bit, and I like especially that it offers a strong foreign alien exotic flavor to set him apart from the other leaguers. He has that loinclothy thing that could also be seen as a doughty. His pants and boots sort of have the look of a Cossack. If you go back to the Brightest Day costume, he had the cabochon. These are not things that are commonly seen in superheroes. And they do show that he is coming from a different place and set him apart from other heroes. And I think it looks damn snazzy. I'd certainly put the New 52 Manhunter costume up against that abomination they've got Superman in any day of the week. There are some people who seem to have a problem with the name Manhunter. This is a name that has a history going back to the 1940s as a classic superhero name. It's something of a catch-all It's not unlike Superman. He's a manhunter. He goes out and he hunts bad men. I don't see where that's an issue. I do recognize that Martian Manhunter can seem clumsy, but I think that the people who have issue with that are the same ones who get very self-conscious about comics as a whole. I just have a problem with those people because either you're in or you're out. If you're too cool for a Martian Manhunter, you're maybe too cool for comics, go play some video games. Or man up and realize that your conception of what was awesome when you were 13 shouldn't apply to you when you're 40. You should have freaking understood that there's more to the universe than what you think is rad. But I'm a big proponent of the term Manhunter from Mars. I think that that sounds better. It's got a, a more of a flair to it, and it abbreviates much smoother to Manhunter. I think that there should be one Manhunter in the DC Universe, and it should be John Jones. The fact that DC has continuously propped up competition within their own line, one of the many self-defeating aspects of that company, which keeps it at number two. And there, there was one key word that Siskoid used in his specific comment, because I've kind of used Siskoid as a straw man for the comments I read on that article— Unintentionally, but I still think he's winding me up, so he asked for it. I hate the term relatable as it's used in comics. Relatable almost always means Peter Parker. It means what you, as a middle class white guy, identify with in the comics your proxy character, your Marty Sue. And one of the things I like about the Martian Manhunter is he may not be relatable to you, he may not be relatable to anybody else on Earth, but the point of that character is not to be relatable. The point of that character is to offer a different perspective. There's this assumption by a sizable percentage of comic book readers that you should have relatable characters. I never wanted to relate to superheroes. I grew out of the need to relate to superheroes when I was a kid. I like to broaden my horizons. I want to hear things that aren't rattling around in my own head. I want to hear what other people's thoughts are, what other people's conclusions are, other people's takes on things are and ideally if you're going to approach the character of the Martian Manhunter, hunter you should try to step back and see things through new eyes which might require research it definitely requires thought and considering that i feel this is a thoughtful character you damned well ought to devote some thought to it before writing a Marsh man hunter story because if you're going to just go for relatable characters just go do a freaking superman book Martian Manhunter is a character of quality, he's a character of nuance, and he's not a typical superhero. He's not made to be iconic, he's not made to be relatable. He's an alternative. He's unusual. He's uncommon. That's his essential appeal. That's why he belongs in a place like the JLA or in the DC Universe, because he's not giving you the same thing as every other hero gives you. When he works. When he's being handled correctly.